Welcome to the Unleashing AI podcast, hosted by Pavel Fakanov. Join us as we speak with industry experts and explore the wonders of innovative, custom-built AI and how it can help grow your business, whilst also delving into the latest developments in the fields of machine learning and artificial intelligence. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Unleashing AI podcast. I'm your host, Pavel Fakanov, and joining me today is Sonia Patel, who previously was working as a senior vice president of product and engineering of conversational intelligence at LifePerson. And before that, Sony actually has had 20 years of experience in the industry working in different companies, including Dell. After that, she joined Microsoft, where she basically grew from entry-level product manager to position of senior program manager lead in eight years, which is amazing experience. And after that, she also joined Microsoft position after she left Microsoft, she also joined Amazon, where she actually was the product and engineering leader for the Alexa identity before actually joining LifePerson. And Sony, welcome to the podcast. Super excited about having you. Thank you so much for having me today. Looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, likewise, likewise. So if you can tell us like a little bit about yourself, about your background, it would be amazing. Yeah. Um, happy to. As you mentioned, I just became a freelancer quite recently. Until recently, I was at LifePerson. Uh, LifePerson is a conversational AI company, and the goal for the company was to build AI-powered customer engagement platform for brands. LifePerson had a significant penetration in the Fortune 500 companies, and uh, some of the world's largest brands use the LifePerson platform as the platform of choice to communicate with the consumers on various messaging channels, be it their website, their brand app, or any of the third-party messaging channels like WhatsApp, SMS, Apple business messaging, what have you. So, And uh, prior to that, I was also in conversational AI because during my five-year stint at Amazon, I initially started out in the retail organization, but the last two years of my Amazon stint, I was in Alexa, which is where I got started in conversational AI. So I definitely have a deep interest in all things conversational AI, and uh, it's been absolutely fascinating watching the developments over essentially the past few years, but definitely uh, the way things have accelerated over the last Six months. Yeah, definitely. And to be honest, I think we're going to have a really interesting conversation today around conversational AI because previously I also was building conversational AI at Replica AI, which used to be the most popular English speaking chatbot. And again, I definitely would like to chat about that as well. But the main topic today that I wanted to touch on is actually generative AI that you also mentioned. So for some of the people, or listening costs again, maybe we can just define what generative AI actually is before we actually start deep conversation about different applications, how enterprises using it, all of that. Yeah, absolutely. So I think generative AI, for those who are new to this topic, is essentially a branch of artificial intelligence that builds new content based on the content that the machine learning model is trained on in the past. Right. So when we talk about large language models, you know, we have these models that are trained on very, very extremely large amounts of data scoured from across the Internet. And 
when these models are prompted, given new prompts, or and by prompts, it's basically just natural language instructions, they utilize the knowledge that they've already had to create new content. And because of the amount of data that they're trained on, their ability to create new content seems like magic, really. We're not just talking about text, we're also talking about images and now video. So it's pretty incredible to see the power of this new line of artificial intelligence. Definitely. And I think what's really interesting, because again, you've been in the space, I don't know, like 20 years, maybe like longer, like I've been in the space like seven years. And again, it's really exciting just to see how everything has changed, basically, because again, seven years, I don't know about yourself, but I actually couldn't imagine that we actually can go like so far, like seeing, let's say, all that advancements in large language models in chat GPT, like GPT-4, GPT-3, all of that. My deeper involvement in AI has been over the last seven years, I would say. You know, before that, I was in, obviously, in technology and my background and undergrad and master's is computer science. So, yeah, same as you, I think, but specifically diving into AI has been the, over the last seven years. And I agree, right? I think all of the the concepts of, you know, building, utilizing large language models it's not new. I mean, it's definitely not six months old, right? I mean, that's existed. And I think that the brilliance of what OpenAI did back in November is to put an interface that was so easy to consume by most of the consumers. And and obviously they saw that in the reception it got, right? I'm very well known now in terms of adoption is the fastest growing internet applications by far. And I think that that's where every person got to, I mean, whoever tried ChatGPT, I mean, they got to see how easy it was to use. And I think that, to be honest, that's the brilliance of the launch of ChatGPT. I would equate it to the graphical user interface, right? So it just made the use of technology so much more easier and so much more accessible. And everybody got to play with it and see the power of what it could potentially do. That's a really good point. Because, again, it's pretty well known how to build large language models. And a lot of people actually have been doing it and building really complex AI applications. But as you said, basically what OpenAI did, definitely they made a lot of progress, like on the technology side of the things. But at the same time, they also provided easy to use interface. So a lot of people actually got access to that technology. And you also touched on a really interesting topic basically about large language models. And probably one question I also wanted to discuss is how do you see, let's say, the next couple of years, next advancements in the generative AI space, specifically large language models technology? How do you see they're going to get better? What kind of additional functionality we're going to see in the next couple of years? I think this is where, from a consumer point of view, I think that it's already very useful, right? I mean, it can already be very useful. It's a useful tool to augment our own productivity. I think in terms of how to utilize these generic large language models that are being put forth by you know, OpenAI and Google uh, in an enterprise setting, that's a more interesting discussion because, again, while they're very useful, there are some serious considerations around guardrails, around safety, around accuracy that I don't think have been solved 
quite to the degree where it can truly be used on its own in a production setting. So there is a level of curation that is still needed. So let me just quickly start and touch on the, how can we as consumers use these large language models? So if it, when we go with uh, ChatGPT, which produces text, again, if somebody has not used a quick intro, think of it as the superhuman that has gone and read and remembered every single thing ever written in the history of the world up until you know a certain date last year. And if you ask them something, they can utilize this massive knowledge and memory to essentially suggest what could be said, right? So it's enormously useful as a draft writing tool uh, for a variety of applications. I have personally used it to write LinkedIn recommendations for folks. It's like having a copyright at hand, you know, who is very, very quick and within seconds can produce a draft. Now, where I think it's very impressive, but also you see the limitations is I tried, I mean, as I mentioned, I quit my job. So I'm like in the process of exploring new opportunities. So I said, okay, hey, let me use ChatGPT to build my resume. So I gave a certain prompts in terms of what I was looking for. And I think that that's where you see in a way that it is not this omnipotent <laughs> tool, like it's being made to believe like it's going to take over the world tomorrow. It's very good at providing generic answers very quickly and generic templates very quickly. And it's very useful to get started. But in this case, we are, when building it as you may, might as you may, I'm the expert on the topic because more than anybody in the world, I know what I've done. I know my story better than anybody else. I know how I want to present that story. So ChatGPT very much is a helper in this particular situation. But I'm the one who's essentially utilizing this tool that can write really well-constructed sentences, but what it needs to say, that content, the main content and the main outline is coming from me. Makes sense. Right. And I wish everybody did a similar exercise just so they don't over attribute too much power and too much reasoning to this tool and they understand what it can or cannot do. And also it showcases the accuracy problems sometimes. Because in certain cases, I needed to go back and edit some sentences because of its usage. But some of the more fun things I had was I could give it a summary and say, write it in such a way that it would impress Elon Musk or write it in such a way that it would impress a VC firm. And it's really good at doing that, right? I mean, and I think that it's definitely a productivity boosting tool. And so that was one exercise from a consumer. How can consumers utilize this? And that's my examples, right? I mean, it could be obviously utilized to build marketing material, tutorials, you know, what have you. So I think that just from being able to write content, it's enormously powerful. Now, when it comes to enterprises, I think there is a lot of discussion, a lot of interest in now tapping into this power of large language models. Yeah, maybe I would start that discussion because you mentioned a really interesting topic that there are definitely a lot of problems when you actually start using large language models in enterprise environment. And you mentioned quite a few of them, but maybe if we first, let's say, clearly define 
what kind of problems enterprises actually can face when they implement large language models. Yeah, so let's talk about, you know, what the specific challenges are. The first is guardrails, right? So usually for enterprises, there is a specific mission they have. There's a specific space that they're operating at, be it retail or insurance or healthcare. And there is usually a set context where the enterprise rightfully so needs to operate. And when, you know, they're, let's say, utilizing AI to communicate with their consumers, there is a context that they need to stay in. And the whole power of large language model comes from how generic they are. And definitely it can be useful, but it can also go a bit off the rails. And we've seen some of the more dramatic examples in the headlines where somebody's talking to chat gpt and then chat gpt says hey you should leave your wife you know or you know something more yeah. provocative like that and again we need to take those headlines a little bit with a pinch of salt because it's not that you know somebody was asking the for the weather and then chat gpt said something provocative like there was a lot of back and forth that happened before you know a response like that was provided to the person so yes definitely there's context but if let's say I'm talking to a company to buy shoes, at no point, it doesn't matter what I say, at no point should chat GPT say anything about my personal relationships. And I think that that's where the need for guardrails comes into place. Now, what those guardrails are, obviously, are very different for each enterprise. And I think that this is where that enterprise-specific training of these large language models becomes extremely important. I didn't mean to say that they're not useful at all until that happens. Like I said, they can be utilized, but that highlights the need for the human intervention at this point for those production use cases. But it still becomes a very powerful curation tool. So rather than, let's say in this case specifically, there's an agent who is interacting with consumers who are reaching out to them for you know, new products or uh, new services, or even for some customer care queries, the agent can use the AI-driven with large language models to at least create the initial content set and then can eyeball and utilize what he uses on judgment, uh, his or her judgment, to take the best content that they think is right for that specific occasion, right? But obviously the end goal is to automate as much as possible. So that's one challenge. I mean, there's others too. Definitely. And again, you described it in a lot of detail, that one specific challenge. And right now, there are definitely like multiple ways you can solve it. But see, I wouldn't say there is like one specific that actually can cover like all of the problems that you actually described previously. And as you mentioned, there is also a huge challenge right now is basically safety in mm -hmm. using class language models, data privacy, like all of that, because, and I think we're going to see actually like a lot of startups, like solving all of these challenges for enterprises and making it like way easier to actually start using large language models inside the organizations. And maybe the problem that I also can see right now is because the space is moving so fast, like each day you can get like a new large language model. That's right. And it's specifically difficult for enterprises because again once you actually start implementation sometimes it's really difficult to change something and 
for enterprises, it should be like a really serious decision to make at which point they actually should start the implementation process for large language models. Because in case they actually rush to implement it too fast, again, they can miss, let's say, on the most optimal implementation option or just not doing it the most optimal way. Otherwise, like if they do it too late, again, they may not get that competitive advantage and they can be overcompeted by other companies. It's a really difficult decision to make. At which point you actually should start using large language models, which large language models you actually should start using. Or at the very least, understand the current limitations as well as the potential pitfalls, right? I mean, like I said, this is where there's all this power. It's incredibly efficient. But look, here are the gotchas and here's not to be scared of it, but more to understand how best to utilize it, right? I mean, this is new to us. A lot of us are learning some of these pitfalls as we grow. Like another very interesting topic is about the whole copyright, which, you know, all of us are grappling, right? I mean, these companies that provide the text to image services, uh, like Midjourney, stable diffusion. So we don't have answers for these. And again, that's a completely like a deep area for us to have a discussion on uh, this topic of bias, for instance, even more complicated. So given that we don't have any of that figured out is what in a way makes it interesting and some of the challenges around when to use. And Pavel, I'm sure you saw the headlines of uh, this very well-known company where the developers use ChatGPT to improve essentially their code and as a result ended up potentially exposing their IP. So nobody wants to be in that spot, right? I mean, so it's better to essentially think through some of those aspects. Definitely. And I think OpenAI actually understanding like all of the challenges that yes, basically correct. different organizations have right now implementing large language models and just recently a couple of days ago they actually announced that basically they're going to provide additional features so they're not actually using the data via api it's not implemented yet but again it should be implemented in a couple of months and i think it's going to solve like a lot of challenges companies actually facing right now absolutely and that's their goal of releasing these capabilities out to the public because then they can understand these gotchas better so that they can react. Yes, absolutely. Definitely. And one more topic I would like to discuss because when deploying large language model, you actually have multiple choices how to do that. Because one option, let's say you can train a custom large language model and basically self-hosted. Completely different option. You can use external API and each one has pros and cons. So I definitely would love to get your opinion like on that topic. How do you think, again, let's say we have enterprise company listening to our podcast, which option should they choose? What would be like the best for their organization? Yeah. So for enterprises, definitely the enterprise specific model, there is some level of that enterprise specific training that is absolutely needed. Right. And, and here's where we live in such a data heavy world that each enterprise, if they can just simply tap into their own sources of data, whether it is communications with their consumers, whether it is the product history that they have from the consumers, the information they have about their own consumers and their profiles. So there is so much data specific to their own business that is available that if they use that, if they start with a more genetic model and then train it, using the data that they already have about their own business, about their consumers, 
that's how they give that personalized and the word that we hear being thrown around is hyper-personalized responses to the consumers with the goal of essentially building really close relationships with the consumers in an effort to increase the lifetime value of each consumer, right? So absolutely that, I mean, there is no doubt about whether that's needed. I think that's the way to go. And this is where we'll see a lot of startups focused on that, focused on building custom enterprise models that leverage these genetic foundational models, but are putting more of these guardrails on top of the genetic model so that the enterprise is actually not using and accidentally sharing any information that they wouldn't want to share. So that's the way to go about it. I think that this is not a done thing yet. It's not as easy or obvious for enterprises to still know, okay, where do I go? So chat GPT is so easy. They, you know, you go create a login and you're off you go, you're starting. And for enterprises, I think that getting started with these custom enterprise models, it's not as easy yet, but there is a number of companies that are looking at this problem. Definitely. And I think some of them, again, I'm completely on the same page. It's not solved yet. But yeah. I can see like a lot of progress, like how companies actually understanding all of the challenges and actually start solving them. And to add about the advantages that you mentioned about actually using custom model, self-hosted model, because like one of them is definitely security that you previously mentioned. Another one is basically quality. So in case you can train, let's say, a large language model on your data, you're going to get way better quality. Again, it can be tricky a little bit because you still have, let's say, some limitation what kind of models you actually can be used because definitely like not every model, large language model is actually open sourced. So you still have to make like smart decision here. And another topic, basically, you have way more control in that case. I'm talking about the data here, but at the same time, you don't want another organization to controlling when your service is running. And when it's not running, because it's a huge problem right now with OpenAI, because again, they got way too much attention. And because of that, sometimes you just cannot use the API. That's it. And it can happen. So that's like one more topic, basically one more point why enterprises actually should consider using custom model, self-hosted model. And also just to add, and I think that you alluded to this one, is also the update frequency and update speed. Definitely. Right. I mean, so for you know, GPT-4, for instance, now to be updated, it's going to be months. I mean, so, but if you have a custom model, then I think you have, again, this goes back to control and also the speed, which is, it's your data and you can choose to update it as frequently as you need. And there's also the cost aspect because an enterprise's data, while like large, is not going to be anywhere close to the scale that the OpenAI, the Google models are training on. I think from a cost perspective, it's going to be a lot more manageable as well. Definitely. And also, you mentioned a really interesting topic because, again, right now, basically like everyone who is like in the AI industry, they understand at least the problems. It's not like a secret. Everybody knows like what kind of problems we have right now. And because of that, a lot of startups actually start solving the same problems. Basically what you just described, like security, like providing, let's say, guardrails for large language models. And in that case, it becomes super competitive. And I would like to get your perspective. So let's say imagine like we have a startup, they have 
brilliant idea, but at the same time, they have like 10 other startups executing exactly the same idea. Basically, what should they do? How should they compete? How they can make sure that they're actually building something people will be using and they don't get overcompeted. I feel that this is going to be a fascinating time for AI startups, right? I mean, the industry is in a, just a weird phase right now with a lot of cost cutting happening, you know, all the layoffs. So that's that's an interesting setting. But this is my belief that the next set of the big players are getting created now, right? Because this is where a lot of talent is in the market that's getting released. It gives people a chance to take take a deep breath and say, hey, what do I want to do? And here's all this opportunity in front of them. Even from a funding perspective, I know there's a big shift from where VC funding was last year versus where they are today. But still, there's a lot of interest in startups that are focused on solving problems for AI. So the opportunity, I think, is so ripe. So I feel like the next set of big players are getting created as we speak. Uh, So to me, in terms of how to stand out, I think that anybody who takes a use case that can articulate it very sharply, you know, because as you said, I think the problem space is pretty well understood right now and solves it in a way that makes it easy for, let's say, a CIO at a business uh, or a CTO at a business to say, oh, I get it. I get how I can get started and use this awesome technology in my enterprise. And I understand how it is safe and can articulate that so clearly where we just get it. So essentially do what OpenAI did with ChatGPT is make it so easy to understand and so easy to get started. And I don't think anybody has cracked that, right? So there is a lot of talk, 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 but I don't think anybody can show us that, hey, if you're a business, this is how you get started. This is how your data can be used to train the model. Here's the interface or here's a tool set and here's how somebody who is a deep learning expert on your side can utilize these tools. I don't think that's been done yet, right? I mean, there is, it feels theoretical still at this point. For somebody to come in and simplify that and make it real and tangible, have a trial mode that somebody can play with, that would be awesome. And I I personally have not seen it. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I'm on the same page here because, again, you definitely have, let's say, sales speed, you want to iterate fast, like you want to ship your product as fast as you can. You want to create, let's say, competitive advantages like for your product. But at the same time, you don't have to forget, you need to make it as basic to use as possible for the enterprises. Because again, in case they have like 10 different options, you're going to choose the easiest one. It's like, it's really logical. Of course, right? I mean, yeah. and, and the easiest one and what seems the most real, yes. right? And also the question about safety I think it's an important one. I don't think enterprises are going to just take somebody's word to say, oh, it's safe. You know, go ahead and use it. We'll make it safe. Like they have to, they need a demonstrable way uh, that they know that when they essentially share their data to train the model, that that data is going to be intact. It's not going to eventually make its way back into the open AI servers or the Google servers 
And then, oops, it's too late to delete that data, right? So I think that there, there needs to be something really demonstrable about those aspects and those guardrails where it's not just a talking point. Definitely. Yes, honey. So that's what's amazing. So many insights about startups, about enterprises. And for me, I specifically liked the point that you mentioned about the way startups actually should approach solving all of these problems. I think it's going to be super helpful for a lot of companies out there. But before we actually finish the podcast, I would like to ask a few final questions. Basically, imagine like you have a chance to invite anyone from the generative AI space for lunch. Who would it be? Well, okay, so I would probably want to spend time with following around Jeff Hinton, who's the godfather of AI. Pavel, have you seen his interview? Yes, I did. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that guy, I think. Here's where, you know, somebody truly is an expert. He is able to just explain concepts in such such simple words. And the humility with which he just approached, uh, I mean, the number of times he was able to say, I don't know, I don't know the answer to that. And this is somebody who's been probably thinking about AI more than any of us uh, for decades at this point. So very impressed. He just seems like a really impressive, cool guy to hang out with. The second person would be Mira Murari, of course. <laughs> so the unsung hero yeah. between Chad GPT. Yeah, I think pretty impressive way to represent women in the generative AI space. So, <laughs> so those would be my two picks. No, that's amazing. And yeah, Sony, thank you very much for coming on the podcast, sharing your expertise. I really enjoyed the conversation. It was super helpful. Again, you spent like seven years building AI products and really appreciate it. Really like the point about startups and enterprises. Thanks. And thank you so much for having me again. This has been so much fun. The Unleashing AI podcast is brought to you by Unleashing AI. To find out more about Unleashing AI and how innovative, custom-built AI can help your business, visit unleashing.ai. Also, make sure to search for Unleashing AI in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Unleashing AI, thank you for listening.